Welcome to Red Leg Nation Radio, your home for discussion and analysis of Cincinnati Reds baseball all year long. Now here's your host, Chad Dotson. Hello everyone and welcome to episode number 328 of the world's most dangerous podcast. I'm your host, Chad Dotson, and just like everything else in 2020, Things haven't gone exactly as I planned over the last week or two. So what I promised you last week, the the discussion, the conversation that I was going to bring you, I got that here at the end of today's podcast. And it's a fun one. I thought it was fun. It's uh, with my little brother. And he's uh, a member of what this generation that I've I've called uh, sort of the lost generation of Reds fans. And we kind of talked about what it means growing up with the Reds as as a favorite team. And never really haven't experienced much success. Fun conversation. You're going to get to like my brother Nate uh, in just a little bit. Before that, though, let me just kind of update everyone on what's been going on in the world of baseball, which is very little and a lot all at the same time. So we'll get into that. Now, I do want to say, uh, those of you that are supporting the podcast over at patreon.com slash redlegradio, still love you. Still appreciate everything. Got a couple people that I need to give shout-outs to. I'm going to wait till we get one of our regular co-hosts back on here so we can have that discussion. But but I see you. I thank you. I really appreciate it. Now on to the news. The biggest news of the last week, of course, Sonny Gray was seen pitching at Great American Ballpark. Hey, how about that? Yeah. Um, that's the only Reds-related news, essentially. Reds starting pitcher Sonny Gray did, in fact... Workout at Great American Ballpark, and he did, in fact, throw a bullpen session. Actually, one of the bullpen mounds there at Great American Ballpark. So it's not the pitching that we hope to see Sonny Gray doing in June of 2020, but at this point, kind of take what we can get. Now, it has been an active week, a bizarre week, frankly, in discussions between Major League Baseball, the ownership, and the Players Union on getting this season underway. Now... It kind of dramatic uh, week in some ways. So let's uh, talk about what has happened since the last time I spoke to you. Okay, early in the in the week, Major League Baseball came out with a proposal, and essentially it was the exact same proposal, just with a little bit different, frankly, uh, some some numbers different, but nothing nothing important different. The proposal was a seventy two game season. The players would receive 70% of their prorated salaries for the regular season and 80% if the postseason is completed. So, uh, you know, if you do that math, it's basically the exact same money to the players that they offered before. So, you know, um, whatever. One thing that sort of uh, struck me. After this proposal, and J.J. Cooper from Baseball America made the point. I thought it was interesting. Uh, all the reporting that we have says that that March 26th agreement, remember the one between the Players Union and, and the MLB that uh, allowed the commissioner to set the schedule uh, but agreed to full prorated salaries. In that agreement, the commissioner is required to make best efforts to play as many games as possible. And I don't think that anyone, just from what we're seeing on the outside, obviously we don't know what's going on behind closed doors, but anyone can believe that Major League Baseball and the commissioner are making their best efforts to play as many games as possible. It's crazy. Uh, Clearly, Major League Baseball has, as we'll see in a moment, has little interest in playing as many games as possible. So they made this 
proposal by some counts third fourth i don't know the time they made a proposal that was essentially the same thing in terms of dollars to the players and really all the players are asking for is their full prorated salaries like they always already agreed to and then instead of countering with another proposal i thought the players association who i frankly have not been very savvy uh, through any negotiation in my lifetime to be honest with you with major league baseball but MLBPA uh, Players Union Executive Director Tony Clark came out with a statement that basically says, we're not negotiating anymore. Uh, we want to play since March. We have been very clear that we want the, as many games as possible, agreed to the monetary concessions, frankly, uh, as, as a means to get to that end, they said. And they did. They agreed to, you know, to prorate sellers for however many games played rather than existing, insisting on what they had contracted for. And they said, maybe baseball not negotiating in good faith, essentially. They don't care. They're just trying to do what they can to break us a little bit. And so they said, it's time to get back to work. I'll just make this go ahead and read the final a couple sentences. As a result, it unfortunately appears that further dialogue with the league would be futile. It's time to get back to work. Tell us when and where. Tell us when and where. That's the statement that a lot of players you saw. Trout, you, uh, Mike Trout, you saw. Bryce Harper. A lot of players tweeting out that sentence. Tell us when and where. Well, we're done negotiating. We already agreed full prorated salaries. You tell us what, uh, how many games we're playing, and we'll be there. And the idea behind that, I thought it was a uh, fairly, uh, fairly interesting move because what that did was... It allowed them to, all right, we're going to take whatever you give us, Major League Baseball, but they have a right to file a grievance, essentially. So um, if the commissioner implemented a season, you know, 50 games or whatever the, the lowest amount they can they can put in, um, if they force them to do that, uh, the players are going to file a grievance, and boom, uh, there are billions at stake there. And, I, and, and by actions afterward, MLB appears that they're not so sure they could win that grievance, frankly, uh, because they haven't negotiated in good faith to uh, try to get as many games as possible. So they would be in violation of the March agreement, essentially. So I thought it was a pretty good move, as I said. Tell us when and where we'll show up and play, and then we're going to file our uh, unsaid was then we're going to file our grievance and try to take even more from you than you would have gone if you had to give us if we just you know agreed on a certain number of games. And so that kind of uh, that kind of hit the baseball world pretty quickly and pretty forcefully. They also said, we demand that you inform us of your plans by close of business on Monday, June 15th. Okay, so that was after the podcast last week. This is the, that's the stuff that went on moving into the current week. So, goodness gracious. Uh, <laughs> then there was a moment where... Everyone kind of went, oh my goodness, what is going on here? Because uh, Rob Manfred, Major League Baseball's commissioner, you know, the week before he said, 100%, there's going to be some kind of a season, 100%. And then early this week, it was, he, he was with on uh, with uh, Mike Greenberg of ESPN, and here's the quote, I'm not confident. I think there's a real risk. And as long as there's no dialogue, that real risk is going to continue when he was asked if he was confident there would be a season. And so, to me, you know, uh, that's negotiating in bad faith. I mean, that's just the absolute. They won't negotiate with us. 
I don't think we're going to have a season. So, okay, you're willing to say there's we're not going to have a season at all? Wow. Wow. So, leaks started, leaks started coming out. Uh, Major League Baseball sent a letter to the Players Association saying there would be no 2020 season unless the players waived any legal claim, uh, claims against the league, which means we're not going to play unless you waive a potential grievance. So there you go. There's your signal that Major League Baseball does not believe they could win that grievance if they just you know instituted this uh, 50-game schedule or whatever. Um, and again, it goes back to that March agreement where it said they would make the best efforts to play as many games as possible. So baseball kind of uh, panicked a little bit when the players said, tell us when and where. Tell us when we're going to start, where to be to start. We'll be there and we will play. We'll live up to our obligations under the March agreement. And Major League Baseball, oh my goodness, they kind of had their bluff called, essentially. So, <laughs> also, uh, Jeff, uh, Rob Manford uh, <laughs> was quoted that same day saying, the owners are 100% committed to getting baseball back on the field. <laughs> I mean, it's just... Uh, it's gaslighting 101 that we're seeing all across the country uh, in uh, in real news that actually matters. But this is just, Rob Manfred is just insane. If <laughs> he thinks that we're going to believe that the owners are 100% committed to being baseball back on the field. Um, and we know they're not. We know that there are a certain number of uh, owners. Plenty of reports that are a certain number of owners. We'll talk about that a little more in a moment. They're fully willing to sit out the whole season. Just fine with it. That's okay. All right, so we get to the last day or two, and it has been crazy. Let's see, Wednesday afternoon, John Heyman of MLB Network reported that the Players Association and Major League Baseball were closing in on an agreement to play, and that the deal was expected to be for prorated pay would include expanded playoffs. Talk more about specifics of that. So he his report was essentially, they are really close. The agreement's basically there. Just minutes later, another reporter, Evan Drellich of The Athletic, said, reported that his sources say no deal is close uh, between the two sides because the proposal that was just sent by MLB, um, because the proposal was just sent and there was no agreement even in principle, there was just kind of a framework is the way that uh, Rob Manford put it. So shortly after that, Heyman again reported that as part of this quote-unquote pending agreement to play, that everyone disputes now, well, not everyone, but that the players now dispute was an agreement. Uh, the union had agreed to waive any grievance against Major League Baseball. So, <laughs> what happens now? Later in the day, the Players Association officially said reports are false of an agreement. Later, we get word about what Major League Baseball's proposal Essentially, Tony Clark and Rob Manfred got in the same room together out in Arizona, and, and we're talking. And, and it looks to me like Manfred went back to the owner and said, we got, a, we got an agreement. We got, basically have an agreement on all the big stuff. Tony Clark went back to the players and were like, okay, um, what do we think about this offer they've made, and how do we counter it? <laughs> you know, so that's how, I don't, I don't know, they were talking past each other in that room. I don't know what. but Or, uh, more likely, Rob Manfred heard what he wanted to hear, told the owners what they wanted to hear, and... Um, Kind of got kind of got caught. So the proposal that Major League Baseball made in that meeting between Manfred and Tony Clark was for a 60-game season 
that would end around September 27th and give players fully prorated salaries. It's also going to have expanded playoffs and uh, would include what, the waiving of that right to uh, a grievance by the union. And essentially, what this case comes down to is that they offered a tiny bit more money. And if you look at just the actual money paid to players uh, from their previous uh, uh, previous offer, but just, just a little, essentially. Um, so I, I, don't know how to, I don't know how better to explain that. It came a little bit in the direction of giving the players more money, but just barely. So uh, then, again, just uh, we're talking about an hour after this first report. Another report comes out. Two sources with direct knowledge do not expect Major League Baseball's latest proposal to the MLBPA to get it done. If a deal will be agreed upon, it needs to be for more than 60 games. And then Commissioner Rob Manford releases his statement. I'll just read it to you. At my request, Tony Clark and I met for several hours yesterday in Phoenix. And again, that was in response to the, tell us when and where. We left that meeting with a jointly developed framework that we agreed could form the basis of an agreement and subject to conversations with our respective constituents. I summarized that framework numerous times in the meeting and sent Tony a written summary today. Consistent with our conversations yesterday, I'm encouraging the clubs to move forward and I trust Tony is doing the same. Okay. First of all, we don't believe anything Rob Manfred says at this point. Okay. Rob Manfred's not evil, but he has shown us that, uh, I mean, he has his masters. He, he works at the will and pleasure of ownership. And that's fine. And he has their best interests at heart. And that's fine. That's his job. But let's never believe anything that, that Rob Manfred tells you without, uh, you know, trust but verify, as they say. Uh, and that probably should be a, a good advice in all walks of life. Be careful what you listen to and what you believe, because there's a lot of misinformation out there. So, Tony Clark came back with a statement. Nope, <laughs> we didn't. Uh, we didn't make it reach any kind of an agreement. What's he talking about? So, the owners were ready to sign off on that sixty games of the prorated pay, plus uh, it'd be fifty-eight million in uh, playoff pool slash salary forgiveness, whatever that means. Expanded playoffs for two years, waiver of grievances, and. Uh, Owners are ready to sign off on that. Of course, that's their offer. And so the players saw it as, as a proposal. And so the players today came back with their own proposal. Now listen to this. This is uh, kind of gets a little bit deep in the weeds. I'll try to summarize the best I can. The players today countered Major League Baseball by suggesting about 70 games instead of 60. And uh, as you'll see, the owners thought they had an understanding at 60. So... Uh, they're unlikely to accept 70, was reporting. But we'll get into that again in a moment. Players' offer was 70-game season would start July 19th in September 30th. Sounds good. Full prorated pay. Spring training would begin June 26th, around June 26th. The expanded playoffs would be for 2020 and 2021. Now, what does it mean about expanded playoffs? Is it 16 teams like we've heard? I don't know at this point. Uh, I don't think we've got a uh, specifics on that. Uh, minimum uh, pool for playoff shares based on rounds played. Uh, $50 million for full playoff, playoffs is staged. 50-50 um, of incremental TV revenues for any postseason game. So if, if they make more money because they're adding more rounds of playoffs. Isn't it? And, and I didn't mention earlier, but Major Baseball did sign a brand spanking new deal with Turner this week uh, for $1 billion dollars or I, I had it pulled up and, I, and I, I closed it. I don't remember the exact number, but yeah, baseball's Baseball is losing money. There's no question they're losing money throughout all this, but they're still making money too. 
So, um, neutral site, quarantine framework if needed to maximize likelihood of getting through the postseason. Uh, this is some, some interesting, some interesting stuff. Opt-outs, full service and salary for players who are high risk or live with high risk individuals. Clubs would be under the players. This is under the players counter offer. Clubs would be granted the permission to sell adver- advertisements, patches on uniforms in 2020 and 21. And a lot of people screamed about that. A lot of uh, you in our uh, Patreon Slack channel did not like that idea at all. There's some funny uh, comments about what the uniforms could look like. You know the. Cincinnati Skyline Reds, for example, but and so a lot of people have real strong opinions about that. If I can just take a quick aside um, to say I don't have strong opinions about that, I would have before I became uh, such a big fan of the Premier League. That's a European football, and ads are everywhere. You know, it took me forever to figure out which team was which because you couldn't see their little crest, and they had some advertisement across the jersey and now it just doesn't bother me at all it has nothing to do it does not i don't even think about it when i'm watching soccer anymore it's just not a thing and so you know i i prefer they didn't do it in baseball but you know what's the big deal they did in the nba and it you know okay does it look better without the ad yes but i don't care so anyway all right so patches advertisements on uniforms Agreement on the DH in 2020 and 2021, or that's the counteroffer. And when that happens, as we've said on here before, if they agree to implement the DH, the designated hitter in the National League, in uh, the next two years, you know, there's going to be a new collective bargaining agreement after the next, uh, after 2021. And so that means that the designated hitter will be in uh, the National League to stay. That I'm against. Full stop. We can have that discussion if you want. Uh, and also the players in their counter, they did agree to uh, waive the possibility of uh, grievances, but it had to be mutual between both sides. So, you know, it seemed like a pretty good uh, pretty good counter offer in some ways, you know, something to work with. Looks like, well, at least they're getting at least they're getting closer, you know, they're actually talking. And uh, well, you know, between seventy games and sixty games essentially is what we're talking about. Now let me tell you about Tony Clark. Uh, at the same time that uh, leaked that source, he, he, he made a statement. In my discussions with Rob in Arizona, we explored a potential pro rata framework, but I made clear repeatedly in that meeting and after it that there were a number of significant issues with what he proposed, in particular, the number of games. We've always known that's what the players were hung up on. It is unequivocally false to suggest that any tentative agreement or other agreement was reached in that meeting. In fact, in conversations within the last 24 hours, Rob invited a counterproposal for more games that he would take back to the owners. We submitted that counterproposal today. How about that? Uh, Rob Manford came back and said, I don't know what Tony and I were doing there for several hours going back and forth and making trades if we weren't reaching an agreement. <laughs> they were negotiating, but they didn't reach an agreement, clearly. You have to have a meeting of the minds. Both parties have to uh, understand you're making an agreement before you can make an actual agreement so news came out that manfred did tell clark that he could make a counter proposal but make clear that 70 games was simply impossible that's what according to reporting by john Heyman, simply impossible and he cited second wave fears and health experts suggesting double headers were inadvisable thanks to fear of players spending too much time together okay 10 extra games uh rob manfred as as my buddy dan Samborski said 60 games is fine for Manfred, but 70 games is 
simply impossible because of a possible COVID second wave? Rob Manford seems to have ultra-specific knowledge about the exact week a second wave will hit in four months. Uh, again, that's just an excuse. That could happen, and they, they don't want that to happen, obviously, because it will cancel the playoffs, and that would be that would be bad uh, for a lot of reasons, not just because uh, not being able to finish the playoffs. Health experts suggesting doubleheaders were inadvisable thanks to fear of players spending too much time together. Seriously? I mean, is that really a thing? I'm not a health expert. I'm not going to pretend to be an epidemiologist. But seriously? Players spending too much time. They're going to be together anyway. And if you have a doubleheader, it's simply impossible if you have 10 doubleheaders in there. But if you don't have those 10 doubleheaders, then, okay, everything's fine. It's just it's it's ludicrous, and I can't believe they expect us to... To believe any of this. So, but anyway, you know, it looked like they're getting closer, and a lot of us were getting optimistic about there actually going to be a baseball season. And yeah, I've been kind of pessimistic about the whole thing from the beginning, as you know, from our discussions here. But I was starting to think, all right, you know, um, I still felt like a pox on both their houses, as I said last week, but I thought we were getting close. And here's your reporting from Bob Nightingale of the USA Today. I will uh, read. What he said in his, what he reported in his piece today. After receiving the owner, if I could read, I would read what it says. After receiving the offer, three owners told USA Today Sports they were incensed by the terms, believing the gap may be too deep for the two sides to reach a quick compromise. Oh man, three owners were incensed, and that 10 game gap. And the extra money that would go to the players in that 10 games, the gap is too deep for the two sides to reach a quick compromise. So what's the deal? What's the deal? (laughs) Manfred says the owners aren't going past 60 games. He said, here's his quote, we are not extending the season. We are not playing doubleheaders. It is not safe. 60 games is safe, but 70 is not, according to the exalted one. So, you know, uh, frankly, I think that uh, Tony Clark has probably bungled this part of it as well. Uh, and, so, yes, and and Manfred as well. I've been, you've heard me being critical of, of Manfred, but it looks we're like we're at the same place that we were before all this discussion, in my mind, which is that... What they should do is just agree on 65 games and go play. But instead, I'm seeing the Players Association dropping back to their... If the owners are really incensed by this latest offer from the players, if they're really, truly incensed by it, then the players have to go back to, all right, tell us when and where. We're not going to reach an agreement. Tell us when and where, and we'll file our grievance against you and try to take you for a billion or two or whatever. And then, if that's what happens, the owners have to come back and say... Do we mandate the season or do we keep delaying in hopes that we can say we don't have enough time to get in a season and so just cancel it, which some owners want to happen. At least eight owners were reported this week to have said that uh, it wouldn't hurt their feelings, basically, if the 2020 season was canceled entirely. And if it had been canceled strictly because of the virus and it was just too unsafe to get back out on the field. Then I'd have been like, ugh, all right, that bums me. But, you know, 
safety is important and nothing we can do about it okay but if it's because they won't agree to pay for the players salaries for 10 more games that's that's really where we are it's it's astounding me that, that major baseball ownership could be so callous and again, I don't want to say that the players have done everything correct during all this. I think they all have, uh, I don't think any of them have the best interests of the long-term health of baseball at heart. And I don't know that necessarily the players should. I've said that before. In the past, players have, have generally tried to have the best interests of the long-term health of the game because it, uh, you know, it makes things better for everybody, even those that come after them. But they also have players voting on these things who have very short careers and who want to make as much money as they can while they're playing, understandably. Major League Baseball owners should have the long-term interest of the game in, at, at heart because the more they can grow the game, and I still contend this was a great opportunity to grow the game. Some people dispute that. I think it's a fantastic opportunity. You're going to get some casual fans watching. You may have some new fans who, since it's the only game in town, start getting into baseball a little bit. I think it was a chance to grab not a huge share of the market, but I think a, a noticeable share of the market for being the only game in town. And it completely botched all that uh, with all this nonsense uh, through the media. Uh, the, any goodwill they could have gained, is, any chance for that is gone. And if 10 games is enough for them to cancel a season, then we're not there yet. I'm still actually fairly optimistic because they are closer than they've ever been. But if 10 games becomes the reason that they can't get this thing done, we all need to have a discussion. And we'll have it here on the podcast, obviously, as well, about whether following a league that thinks that's a, an appropriate way to treat their customer base, we'll have to have a conversation about whether or not that's something that we really want to do that we really have time in our lives to do. Because I think a lot of us have discovered that we've gotten along fairly well without baseball after it being such an integral part of our lives uh, forever, for our entire lives. And we've discovered that, you know, we like baseball. And we can still watch our kids play baseball. And we can still watch our college teams play baseball. But, you know, there are a lot of other things we can do with our time. We've discovered that over the last few months. i found so many other things to do with my time rather than, being, uh, you know, beholden to that 7.05 start time. So, anyway, that's where we are. I'm not going to go ahead and uh, lead you into the... I, I went a little longer than I expected because, you know me, I like to rant. But this conversation with my brother, uh, I think, I really do think you're going to enjoy it. Uh, he's, a, he's a great kid. I say kid, he's not really a kid. But um, he's uh, he's a big, big, big Reds fan. And uh, he was excited about the opportunity. Nervous, I think, to come on and, and do this. And he just, he's a, he's a natural He's an absolute natural at it. So um, enjoy my conversation with Nate Dotson, and we'll see you all next week. Joining me today is Nate Dotson, my little brother. How are you today, Nate? I couldn't be better. Thanks for having me. Awesome. So, uh, you know, you all listen to this dumb podcast we've done 300 and some episodes of, and uh, you know, I've talked uh, about my family some and, and everything, but I, I wanted, you've also heard me talk about kind of this lost generation of Reds fans. And so I wanted to bring on one that may be in that generation. And, and Nate, he is my brother, but there's 12 years difference between us. So we've had a little bit of a different experience in terms of Red being a Reds fan. Uh, Nate, do you remember when you first really started following the Reds really closely? It's hard to pinpoint an exact time. I mean, with our family, it's sort of, well, I guess not the whole family, but 
you and I were always pretty close. And, you know, as long as I can remember caring about baseball, which is some of my earliest memories, I'll still remember, you know, you throw a wiffle ball to me from the front porch just a few feet away and me slapping a line drive right back into your forehead and thinking you were mad at me. And, uh, <laughs> it hurt, but I wasn't mad. That's a great hit. Yeah. <laughs> One of my favorite memories, but it's, you know, as long as I've been a baseball fan, which is, like I said, some of my earliest memories, it's always been the Reds. Um, you know, we have those early family memories of going to games, and I think that it had to be, I couldn't be more than, a, you know, three, four, five years old, the first time I remember going to one and being hooked, like being around that, that atmosphere is back in the Barry Larkin days. And there's something that's appealing when you come from a little small town like us. You get to go to Cincinnati. It's a big city to us. But I think it's been my entire life, without question. And I... Yeah, it has been, and this is what I'm worried about. So I'm going to have to ask you to be honest with me. Is is it my fault that you've been saddled with the Reds all these years? <laughs> Do you blame me you for this what? nonsense? I gave you a long time ago. <laughs> I had to come to terms with it, met with a local priest, and uh, he told me I should forgive you. <laughs> well, I appreciate that. Excellent. <laughs> yeah, it's bad. Um, I can't blame. Uh, I don't know who I can blame, but uh, the time you've spent being a Reds fan, not been a whole lot of good times. Now, I'm going to tell you something I remember, and you may or may not even remember this. This would have been in uh, 1991, probably. So the year after the Reds won the World Series. How, how old were you in 91? I would turn six in junior 91. Okay, so this would have been, I guess, my junior year of high school. And I remember, and this is really bad, and I'm admitting it publicly, and I'm really embarrassed to say <laughs> it, but uh, I, you know, we'd go to the uh, our high school's girls' basketball games, you know. And because uh, at that time, the girls season, and the boys season were different times. So you know, we'd all go to the girls games and I would take you with me because, like you said, we were pretty close and uh, we used to hang out you know, a lot. And um, I would take you and I distinctly remember how the girls just loved the fact that my uh, little brother could recite all these Cincinnati Reds because <laughs> they knew I was insane about the Reds. But <laughs> I'd be like, uh, Chris, and you say, oh, you know, um, and I, I apologize for that, too. I really I think I didn't treat you very well. <laughs> hey, if you brought Chris Sabo into my life, I'm not going to complain. <laughs> well, you helped me out a little bit, I guess. Uh, awkward uh, teenage Chad. Uh, you didn't have any uh, problem talking to the, my uh, fellow uh, high school girls, so thank you for that. But That's the least I can do. <laughs> now, do you remember, you were still going to be young in 95 when they won the division. That was uh, when I was in college at the time, when they uh, won the National League Central and lost to the Braves in the National League Championships. They beat the Dodgers in the Division Series. And do you? They, that would have been awfully young for you, but do you remember anything about that? I do remember it happening. I don't remember the exact details. Funny enough, I remember more about the 1990 World Series because you had the VHS, and we used to watch it all the time. So I have all these fake memories of the 90 World Series on tape, but as far as 95, it was really just that it was happening. We had, you know, our other brother, Corey, he's a Braves fan, so there was a little bit of trash talking going on. <laughs> yes, one of our... That's sort of the extent. We have, there are four of us, four brothers, and uh, love them all, but one of them somehow turned into a Braves fan, and we really can't explain that other than he just, you know, was trying to be different, I guess. I don't know. We love him slightly less. <laughs> exactly, exactly. <laughs> so, especially after the 95 National League Championship Series when they... Swept the Reds. So, um, 1999, you were a teenager at that point, I guess, right? 99, mm -hmm. you were? 14. Yeah. So, and that was that big team with, uh, you know, Greg Vaughn came over and uh, they had the big run, won 96 games. 
And we're starting to get to the point where you, although you're playing baseball a lot as well, too, so and, and teenage things on your mind, you weren't as uh, insane as I was probably. But do you remember much about that team? Um, again, sort of similar. I remember getting excited about it. It wasn't very often that I got a chance to be excited. So anytime I would try, my friends would just hush me up and let me know that, hey, it's not going to last long. It's going to be fleeting joy. Um, and that's that's actually some of the other big names on that one. Uh, well, Mike Cameron uh, led the team in wins above replacement. Um, that is just about everything you need to say. <laughs> uh, Eddie Tobbins, Sean Casey was on that team. Larkin was the shortstop. Aaron Boone, third base. Uh, Michael Tucker. Big Eddie Tobbins is saying, obviously, Sean Casey gets a uh, family connection there as well. But those were the, that's probably the first years that I remember going up there. And so I think we went as a family and watched a three or four game set and probably the Pirates. It seems like they were always playing the Pirates when we went up there. I guess cheapest tickets. <laughs> probably. But that was the, really the first and only, not only time, the first time that I remember there being a like, real, real buzz around the team. And after you know, 14 years of fanhood, you'd think that, well, you know, more or less, you'd think you'd get used to that a little bit more often. <laughs> you'd think so. But the, the reason I ask you about 90, uh, 1990 and uh, 1995, 1999 is that it's kind of been a drought since then. And, and like I said, my th- kind of thesis has been the Reds, by choosing to be uh, lousy for most of the last three decades, they've, I, I think they are in real danger of losing a generation or two of Reds fans. And that's sort of what I want to ask you about. How, just in terms of being a Reds fan, how difficult has it been when you've you've really not you've never experienced any playoff success? Yeah, I would say that my two uh, fondest, most fond baseball memories come from the same season. It was uh, Jay Bruce walk off in 2010 that clinched the division, and then going with you to the playoff game that same year. So, of my two favorite favorite res memories, one was a loss, and the other one, you know, clinched a division. Yeah, which so it hasn't been a. Yeah, so go ahead. It hasn't been a ton to root for. Yeah, I mean the the Bruce thing. That's that's one of my favorites, obviously, as well. But you're right. That's in your whole life, and you've been a pretty big Reds fan. Uh, it's just been that. Out. Right. Yeah, I've almost had to always pick players. So obviously I'm going to love the team. You can't be one of those fans that jumps around or maybe be a lot smarter if I was. So I've had the Reds have been lucky that I've had the Barry Larkins, Chris Sabos, and then move on to Adam Dunn, who's my all-time favorite Red, and then sort of bridge the gap to the Joey Votto's of the world. So we've had great players. We've had great people that were worth rooting for. But the front office never seemed to prioritize you know, taking advantage of that. And put the product on the field that really made, you know, made you want to talk about, it, made you want to go out there and represent. So we still did because that's who we are. But you know, I imagine that when you're a Yankees fan and you're out in New York and you've got the hat on, people people look at you and nod, give you the thumbs up. Um, that's almost never happened to me. <laughs> yeah, I mean, there's really not been a buzz around the Reds, really, except for 2010 and then 2012, and, and somewhat in 2013 when they lost in the wild card, but. Uh, there's really not been any kind of a real buzz around this team for many, many years. And even that buzz was, uh, you know, short-lived, but, they, you know, it wasn't like they did a whole lot other than, I mean, they made it to the playoffs. Now, that playoff game that we went to, though, that was crazy, wasn't it? That was insane that night. That was the best atmosphere of any sporting event I've ever been to. I mean, they, I think they got shut out, if I remember correctly, but I think Homer was on the mound. It was just, it was, it was electric. 
Yeah, it was, it was the first uh, the first game against the Phillies at, at Great American Ballpark, and it was just uh, I've never seen Great American Ballpark like that. Uh, you know, yeah, I remember driving home, and you think that you'd be deflated after your season ending, and us just talking over and over again about how great of a game that was, how much fun it was, how thrilled we were with this team. Which I guess is kind of the point of this conversation. <laughs> speak for a four and a half hour, four hour car ride about how proud you are of the team that lost in you know, the divisional round. Yeah, of course at that time we thought better things to come and there should have been, but we know what happened. But now I want you to imagine this, that atmosphere that night for a league division series, you know, uh, game three. That atmosphere, how crazy it was. Now I want you also to imagine that there are some fans of some teams that get to do that you know, more than once in their lifetime. That just sounds like like fiction to me. I don't. I cannot imagine. It's crazy talk. Uh, it's, just, it's crazy talk. Yeah, the Yankees. Like I you talk about it. Eternal optimist to think that uh, you know it's right around the corner. I know that our our front office has actually been making some really good moves these last few years, uh, hiring the right people to finally get a hold of this analytics movement. So the optimism is there, and you can only hope that. Cincinnati is such a great baseball city. We have a unique perspective growing up four hours away that you know, even when they were bad, getting to go to a game was it was a treat for us. It was something we could look forward to, and even if they won you know, 70 games that year, it was going to be a lot of fun. So I'm hoping to carry that perspective in to when we finally are successful again, which I got a weird feeling it's right around the corner. I thought this year was going to be something for us until you know all this crazy stuff happened. So. Fingers crossed. Yeah, fingers crossed. Still may be. And I, I want to talk about the current team a little bit. But um, I also want to ask you about, I think it was, was it last year or the year before? I guess it was last year when um, you caught, them at Nash, caught the Reds at Nationals Park. Was that last season? That. Yeah, it was last season because it was, uh, well, you tell tell the story about it. Well, um, so I haven't, haven't lived in the U.S. for the previous seven years, and Anytime people ask me what I miss most about America, baseball is at the top of my list. Just getting to go to games. And once I moved back, I moved to Charlottesville, Virginia. So it was a quick two-and-a-half-hour drive to D.C. So the Reds were playing the Nationals, and I knew I had to go. I was hoping to go to all three games, but because of the way my schedule worked out, I just got to go to one. So I made the trip up there wearing my red shirt, red hat. Um, I was probably one of, I don't know, I might have seen ten other Reds fans. And you know, if you've been to Nationals Park, you got the subway, you got that walk, and there's thousands of people. Yep. Maybe 10 Reds fans in the entire place. So, uh, sure enough, it wasn't much to root for. The Reds predictably got beat, but there wasn't one really cool moment when, uh, um, forgive me if I pronounce it incorrectly, I must have just read, but. Uh, Aristides Aquino. Aquino. He, uh, was he tied the record for most home runs to start a career? Yeah. I think it was his 12th, and he launches one. So I don't know if the cameraman, he should probably get a promotion because he had to do a tough job searching the stands that he did, but they found the one red stand that was standing up clapping. So that was when I made my you know, TV debut, and he was around <laughs> the third base. There I was standing up clapping. I kept waiting for the talent scouts to call, but they never did. That's that's strange, yeah. Aquino, uh, <laughs> you know, Aquino does that uh, arm flex, you know, bicep flex or whatever, as he – comes around third base every time he hits a home run and and i'm sitting there watching the game i knew you were there but i wasn't like looking for you because i really didn't know where you were sitting or anything and they zoom in i'm like wait wait a minute that that's nate 
<laughs> you know, it was, you got some good, uh, uh, camera time because I guess there wasn't uh, much more to, for the cameraman to focus on in the stands because you were you were cheering and I think I actually tweeted it out that night in the days before I quit Twitter but uh, it was pretty cool so um, that's been one of the things that uh, has really made being a Reds fan worth it is those little moments I'll never forget being uh, it was opening day oh, I can't remember what year but I went up there the Reds were getting beat the whole time as they often, so often did and then. I think it was Adam Dunn and Joe Randall went back-to-back in the bottom of the ninth for a Reds opening day walk-off win. So it's, you get those moments that get you hope, you know, opening day optimism. You know, you, can, you can't go undefeated unless you win the first one. Yeah, but I remember that. that day, everybody's floating, and then what we win, maybe 76 games or something? <laughs> Probably, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I remember that game very well. I remember thinking, oh, my goodness, team, you know, Joe Randall's first game with the Reds. Oh, man, he's going to be great, and – we're going to be awesome. But as usual, it was the pitching that killed him every year back then. But um, but those moments, have those been enough to to carry you? Because, you know, uh, again, you were a big Reds fan following from the other side of the world, literally, for a number of years. And still a big Reds fan when you came back. But uh, Although maybe it was easier being away during these years uh, <laughs> that they've been awful, actually. You, 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 you were gone through most of the 90 lost seasons. So maybe maybe that helped you. There's definitely an argument to be made there, but my biggest worry um, as someone who, you know, we started a family before too long and I want, you know, as most parents and most fathers would want their children to be you know, fans of the same sports teams. I don't, it almost doesn't seem that fair. Like I'm a Reds fan because I was born into it. I love these, this team. I always will, but what is convincing anyone else? If your if your father was not a Reds fan, what is convincing you to be one? You have to be from from Cincinnati, and it has to be Cincinnati specifically. You're Kentucky, really, because everywhere else in Ohio they have a Cleveland team that often overachieves. And unless you're just you know you raise a good kid that doesn't want to root for the DH, which I certainly understand. Even though it looks like uh, they may impose the DH on the National League <laughs> at any time, but yeah. Yeah, that that's that's I haven't put it in the, that those terms, but that's a great way to put it. If you're not from Cincinnati proper, Northern Kentucky, just the, the the vicinity there, why would you become a Reds fan over the last thirty years? Why would you choose that team? You know, in the in the mid seventies, when there was the big red machine, you know, people from all over the world basically were were Reds fans because that that was the team you saw them on television. Nowadays, I you know, even the, the Reds have a Hall of Famer in Joey Votto, but he's not exactly the most uh, you know. I don't know what the word is, but uh, exciting player in the league. I love what he does, and I want him to keep doing it for as long as he can do it. But you know, he's not necessarily a guy that really uh, generates a lot of uh, a lot of awe uh, around the league, you know. But uh, yeah, that's a that's a great way to put it. Why would why would you ever? But let me let me say this though. I for many years I apologized to my uh, my children for saddling them with the Reds, obviously, but. Um, especially with uh, Virginia, University of Virginia sports. Really just, I, I felt really bad about saddling them with that because uh, I kept thinking, well, it'll build character following all these losing teams. And I got to tell you, that turned that, that turned around in the last few years. So, you know, who knows? Maybe the Reds can turn it around. Hey, it's in, it's in the air. Something's happening. Yeah, I guess. Who? Uh, Hopefully we get a baseball season. Yeah, there's some uh, movement here recently that makes me think they might. I don't know. I think the the commissioner came out and said some really dumb stuff, and I think that might have caused might have been enough bad publicity over that that it caused the logjam to break. We'll see. Hopefully, 
because again, yeah, hopefully saying maybe a sixty-game season, full prorated. That's the most encouraging sign we've had. In. It, yeah, that's I the guess. first time I've been encouraged. I agree. Um, and the, <laughs> it hurts so much that the Reds, even if, if it's just sixty games, at least we get sixty games. But man, this was the year for the Reds to to finally be back. Now I don't know if they were going to make the playoffs. I don't know if they were going to win the division. I don't know if they were going to, you know, uh, win the World Series, anything like that. But I expected them for the first time in many years. I had a real, real expectation that they could actually be competitive from beginning to end. And so I, I, if it's 60 games, whatever, I want something because I want to see what this team can do because they got a lot of fun players. That's exactly right. I think it actually might have even started last year. Something started to shift last year. And we didn't make a bunch of you know huge, flashy moves, but we got some guys that played hard. We got you know, Pui, who is a polarizing character. But, man, he's fun to watch because he went out there and played the game that you, know, you, you grow up playing. Yeah, you're a kid. Love there, you, you're hustling. You're, you care about every single little moment. And I think the Reds have a bunch of those guys. And, yeah, I'm, I'm not with you. I hope that we get a little something. And fingers crossed that it can be, you know, other people might try to discount it if the Reds won this year, but I would not. I would think it's totally legit. Now, if any other team wins a lot when the Reds lose, then it was a throwaway season. It doesn't count. There you go. Exactly. It doesn't count. We'll start again next year. <laughs> Now, I think the difference between this team and most of the teams of your lifetime is that this team really probably of any team in your lifetime actually has a good pitching staff. You've really, until last year, you've, I, I'm trying to think back. I don't think you've ever seen a team that actually, well, I guess the 2010 to 12, those teams had the good, uh, you know, uh, Arroyo and, and Harang and um, Volquez and Cueto. That, yeah, that's a, that was a good one. But um, other than that, well, that's funny how the teams that win for the Reds have good pitching all of a sudden. Uh, yeah, so, I'm picking hmm. up on a theme here. <laughs> yeah, really. So, you mentioned uh, your favorite, some of your favorite players. Uh, you mentioned Adam Dunn, and people are going to give me grief when they hear that because they're going to say that I forced you to be an Adam Dunn fan as a youngster because I, you know, I profess my love for Adam <laughs> Dunn just about every one of these podcasts. So, but who else are some of your favorite players you remember watching over the years? Well, first off, in your defense. As a teenager, how can you not root for somebody who's called the Big Donkey? <laughs> exactly. That's going to happen. Um, Barry Larkin, we mentioned already, but of course that was, you know, that was right, right in my wheelhouse as, as a young boy. Um, Chris Abel, who we've also mentioned, I was a huge fan of just being, you know, five, six years old, seeing the rec specs. Something about that always drew him to me. Um, even Jose Rio from that team. I love those guys. And Joe Oliver. Um, as you got a little bit older, um, Sean Casey has got to be up there. He's, I think he's on every Red Sands list of most beloved players. And then after that, because the Reds have sort of been so futile, you start leaning towards these players with personality. The Bronson Arroyos of the world. The uh, you know, Even when we had King Griffey Jr., that was, I'll never forget when they got him. But that's sort of where the memories end. Like he had the milestone home runs and stuff, but he was so unfortunately injured that you know, he doesn't make those lists for me. Yeah, I get. I get Jay it. Bruce was my guy. Jay Bruce. Well, everybody loves Jay Bruce. Well, not everybody, Jay Bruce but was my guy up until uh, I think some other franchises that don't love him too much now. <laughs> Maybe, unfortunately. But Joey Votto, I think, will go down as my number two behind Adam Dunn. Just his professionalism, the way he's approach the game and his you know excellence he's probably going to be a first ballot hall of famer one of the best pure hitters the 
and I hate to use the word pure because you put so much work into it, but one of the greatest hitters I think the game's ever going to have seen. Yeah, that's something I've constantly said, which is that Reds fans need to just appreciate the fact that you get to watch this guy every single day because he is an all-timer. I mean, he, he really he's, – he's the best Reds hitter of my lifetime, and you know I've been alive a lot longer than you, man. A little bit, a little bit. <laughs> I don't want to remind you of it. You brought it up. Thank you. I appreciate that. And let me, let me just mention this because I actually said something uh, on the last podcast. We intended, we were just together celebrating our parents' 50th anniversary, and we'd intended to, to do this live, and uh, time got away from us. We couldn't we couldn't get it done for various reasons, whatever. We were having too much fun uh, hanging out with all the brothers together and, and, and all the families. But uh, So that's why uh, we're, we're doing this by phone now. Um, I blame you for not uh, doing it uh, while we were together. You were making us have too much fun doing other stuff. Well, that's fair. As the uh, rankings have recently shown, as the fourth favorite son, <laughs> I will wear that. I'll take that burden. Four sons in the family. We're constantly ranking, re-ranking who's the favorite, and Nathan has <laughs> never been the least favorite. He's never been, maybe for like a, an hour one afternoon, but he's otherwise never been the least favorite. So... Uh, <laughs> I want to ask you about King Griffey, uh, just because uh, you brought that up. And I want to, here's my perspective. The Reds, you know, they were really bad when I started watching them. Around 83 was basically my, when I first really started. That's when I went to my first game, and they were awful. You know, they'd lost 101 games in 82, which I was, you know, I sort of knew about, but not really. I really started following in 83. Um, I was nine years old. And they lost 88, and then lost 92 and 84. And so they were really bad when I started watching them. But then after that, the Reds were pretty good for my formative years as, as, a, Red, as a Reds fan. You know, ages 11 through end of high school, basically. You know, they were second place four straight years uh, in the mid-80s. They were bad in 89 because the Pete Rose nonsense, uh, you know, brought them down. But then in 91, I'm in high school. They win the World Series. So my experience is they just came off the big red machine which were great. I don't remember any of it, obviously, but I heard all about it because, you know, the other people in our family that are Reds fans and, and because we went to Cincinnati a lot. And so they were great in the 70s. Had a little blip in the early 80s, but then they were really pretty good for most of my uh, my life uh, up to winning that series. And then, you know, they were... 92, they came in... Uh, 91, they weren't good, but 92, they were second place and they were bad again in 93, but then they finished first in 94 and 95... They were third in 96, 97, 99, they, you know, the, obviously the, the fun season. And then they get King Griffey. I'm trying to rub it in here. <laughs> I feel like I am, but I'm, 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 I'm honestly coming to a point here. And then they get King Griffey. And, and at that point, I'm thinking, you know what? The Reds have been at least interesting, at least fun for pretty much my whole life. It's going to be like that forever. And this is about the time you start really getting hardcore into it. Mm-hmm. And then it was awful from that point. And obviously, I don't want to pin any of it on King Griffey. Um, King Griffey is one of my favorite players that's ever put on a Reds uniform. But um, but I had that thought at that time that man, this team is—they're not always great. They don't always win, but they're always interesting. And they're always in the in the mix. And since uh, Griffey's first season, they won eighty-five games. Since then, it's been just almost universally miserable, except for basically two seasons. And uh, I guess that's the point I'm, I'm trying to make here, which is that I thought they were going to be great forever because they had been. You haven't had that feeling, I guess, have you? I guess it's been kind of the opposite. Um, now, it might mean more to me when they are great again. 
but you go into every year, you, you, you whip up that optimism. That's the great thing about baseball, right? Every year you have a chance. Maybe the pieces don't look good on paper, but you know, it seems like also every year another team makes a playoffs that wasn't supposed to. Hey, it could be us this year. But, yeah, I mean, every single year I just expect that, you know, with a handful of exceptions, that the Reds are probably going to be bad, that it's going to be the same old thing. But, hey, I love baseball, so – I'm going to watch, I'm going to support, but there isn't that, you know, that electricity, that enthusiasm that I can only imagine these other franchises have, a lot of them. Yeah, it'll be interesting to, and I don't know if we'll be able to quantify it, but if they, let's say the Reds in this shortened season, assuming they get to play, go nuts and win the World Series. However the playoff format ends up being, they win the World Series. It's going to be great for me for a number of reasons, because it's been, you know, 30 years since I experienced that, I was a I was a kid when they experienced it before. Basically, I remember sitting in the living room uh, watching that uh, World Series and, and recording it on VHS so I could watch it again. And you're right, we did have the highlight video. That we watched, I forced you to watch too many times, but it'll still be important to me. And I'll have my son watching it, and it'll be exciting for him. But for you, it'll be the first time ever. And for so I guess for those of you that actually have stuck with the Reds through this nonsense that we've seen in the 2000s. I think it's probably going to be pretty special. Uh, you know, I think you're right. It'll be more special than than what I will than what I will feel. And uh, I kind of want that for you, man. Well, I appreciate it. Uh, <laughs> I kind of want it for myself too. And I honestly feel like maybe for the first time in my lifetime that the uh, the ownership in front office kind of wants that too. Yeah, it's been. It's funny that you say it that way. For the first time in your lifetime, it's really it's really true. This uh, the front office the last couple of years, and I've been very public about what I think about the newest regime. They finally got things right with uh, Dick Williams, president of baseball operations, Nick Crawl, general manager. These guys who understand that we got to do things differently than the past, than the Walt Jockety years. Oh, Walt Jockety, you know, he had his uh, he had his moments, and he was, uh, just, but he was an old school guy. So, do you expect the next ten years to be better than the last ten years? I guess is the question I'm, I I want to ask. Well. I think they have to be. Oh, hard, hard for them not to be. But I do genuinely believe that. Um, I don't know what wild hair Mr. Castellini got, but something something flipped. And, yeah, like you said, we're he's made all the right hires. Um, you know, Dick Williams and Nick Kroll, they're, they're targeting the right players. And a lot of the work they've done in their minor league systems, he's, uh, you know, less flashy coaching hires and coordinator hires at the lower levels have been really impressive. And you start noticing that on all the Twitter spheres and the blogs, people start praising the Reds. They're like, you know, the Reds made this hire today. It's universally agreed that it's a great idea and even, you know, a steal. They can't believe that somebody like the Reds got them. I love the fact that for the first time people are like, oh my goodness, the Reds made the savvy move. <laughs> That's kind of and sad. I think it is. They, <laughs> The first time that I can remember this happening. Yeah, Kyle Bodie, the pitching coordinator. Derek Johnson, the pitching coach. I mean, Kyle Bodie, especially the guy that everybody wanted. And the Reds, yep. went, out, the Reds went out and got him. And that's that's not the Reds. That's not the Reds that you've experienced, certainly. Oh, no, but it's definitely uh, yeah, part, of, part of the reason why that I was so excited about this year. But when you hire a guy like that, it doesn't limit excitement to one year. Like, that's it's a sign that things are shifting and there's going to be optimism in the future. There's going to be success, at least, you know, when you have an entire franchise working towards 
that kind of success. It makes you feel a lot better as a fan. Yeah, for most of your lifetime, it's basically it was Jim Bowden as the general manager originally, and then you know. Listen, we don't curse. We don't curse in public. <laughs> uh, leather pants, Jim Bowden. Um, <laughs> it's mostly been just let's see if we can patch something together rather than really truly trying to win. And I think that in the last couple of years, uh, you're right. They've kind of shifted gears, and they're they're not just at the big league level. It's an organization wide thing where. Listen, we've got to we've got to reform the whole organization and get it pointed in in the same direction and all moving forward. And it's the first time in your lifetime, probably that that's ever been the case. And that's I guess that's a reason to stick with them. Is that is that fair? <laughs> Absolutely. After uh, thirty five years of the same old same, um, you know, you, you don't get too down during the downtime, but you sure can't get high during the high time. But I'm excited for the direction that this team's going and. You know, whenever we, we are good, hopefully this year, not this year, next, it's going to mean a lot more for somebody like me than it would be for, you know, a lot of these other people that have experienced it before or haven't been alive long enough to know how bad it's really been. That's right, yeah. So I, I don't know. I hope I hope it happens. I'll tell you the reason that I ascribe to why Bob Castellini decided to change things completely or at least let the guys that knew what they were doing, let them have some free reign. Uh, I really believe it's because the piece I published in Cincinnati Magazine – where I went back and looked at his promises he made when he bought the team and how he had absolutely uh, not come through on any of his pro- – well, one of his promises, maybe he, he, there were like six promises that he made. And uh, one of them he came through on, that's the one about doing more in the community, basically. And they have done that. They've been great. But um, So I'm, I'm taking credit for the fact that he decided to let the, the team go in an analytic direction um, because I'm nothing if not uh, delusional about the influence I have on the Cincinnati Reds. I'm just saying, you heard it here first, people. Chad Dawson is solely responsible for the turnaround of the franchise. Yeah, yeah. I'm going to shout it from the rooftops. <laughs> well, you do that, but I'm not sure that if you shout that from the rooftops in Charlottesville, Virginia, that uh, too many people are going to take too kindly to it. <laughs> Any other national fans up here, I think I need to move. <laughs> yeah, really. No doubt about it. Any other, I know you were kind of thinking as we were getting ready for this, about some some big memories that you had about the Reds. Anything in particular that stands out to uh, to you that we haven't discussed uh, of your favorite memories or things that you really remember as a Reds fan over these awful years? Well, I think we've covered all the uh, you know the specific events and and you know successes as few as they were, but it was just the little things. Cincinnati being such a great baseball city, and they used to let the kids out on the Ran out in the field, run the bases on Sundays. I did that a few times, but you, know, you can never forget it. Um, the opening day parade is just you know, how, how many of those did we go to? I feel like we went almost every year. Yeah, for That's a long time. Thing. Yeah, yeah. yeah. A city like Cincinnati deserves a contender. They deserve a team to root for because you know, person to person, you're gonna be hard pressed to find a city that loves and cares about baseball more than they do and really rallies behind their team when they believe there's something to rally behind. And like, you know, sort of the theme of this conversation, I hope that, you know, the corner has been turned and this is the, uh, the team in the office and the staff that are going to put that team out there, put that organization out there and get that city behind it again. Yeah. You've hit the nail on the head. You know, this is, this is a city that is really desperate for something to root for in any sport but especially baseball, and they've not been given. And that's why I've been so concerned about that the Reds have wasted a great opportunity in a great baseball town. It's still a great baseball town, I feel. 
but by basically refusing to compete for most of 20 years, essentially, I've been worried about them missing that. Now, some people have come back to me and said, when they start winning, everybody's going to come back. And I hope that's true, but I just hope they haven't lost too many people who never got interested in baseball because they've been so bad. And, uh, but I think yeah, maybe you're right. I'm hoping that you're right. If they're great this year, everybody's back and it's going to be fun at Grand American Ballpark again. Hey, it's, uh, the most underrated stadiums, underrated cities that I've ever been to, and I've been to quite a few now in my increasing years. So no city deserves it more. I'll agree with that. Now let me get you on the record. Let's say we have a 60-game regular season in 2020. What is the record going to be for the Cincinnati Reds, and uh, and how far are they going to go in the playoffs? Because I know you're going to predict that. I'm saying 42 wins and – I'm not going to go any further, but I'm going to say we're going to make the NLCS. I'll leave the rest of it up to the baseball gods. But I think we've got the pitching. We've had the hitting before, and Billy Votto's bouncing back this year. It's going to be be a fun year for us. I love it. I love it. Love the optimism, and I'm going to sign on for that. So let's, let's, uh, let's hope from your, from your mouth to God's ears. Nate, buddy. Red fan, hope is all we have. That's all we've got. That's all we've got, hope. So, And I'm not giving up yet, assuming they get to play this year. Nate, my man, appreciate uh, you, you coming on and doing this dumb thing with me that I do uh, every week because I'm I'm an idiot. But uh, I don't know. You understand a little bit, I guess. Uh, we, we're crazy about this team for some reason, and uh, it's time for a winner, right? It sure feels like it. And I appreciate you having me on. It's not the first Res conversation we're going to have. It won't be the last. Um, I guess it's just the first one we ever recorded. <laughs> That's true. That's true. <laughs> Promise me this. Promise me this. When the uh, when the Reds are uh, in the World Series, me and you and my son Casey, we're all going to be there. Oh, 100%. Absolutely. Can't wait. Nate, appreciate you, buddy. Hey, you're very welcome. Talk to you soon. Thanks for listening to Red Leg Nation Radio from RedLegNation.com. Subscribe to Red Leg Nation Radio on iTunes or through your favorite podcast app. And join us for discussion of all things Reds at RedLegNation.com. 24 hours a day, 7 days a week.